the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. Good morning again, church. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Our reading is kind of long this morning because feel like we need to see the whole story. The Lord's help, I'm going to share with you just for the next few minutes something entitled Your Next Step. Acts chapter 10, verse number 1. I'm reading from New King James. It says it this way. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed... Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter, brought, thought, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, Three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house 
and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them And some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me? Father, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you do what you so want to do in us as a body. I will do my best to share your heart, but I know that I know that I know that nothing of value will be accomplished if you, Holy Spirit, don't do what you do so well. So I just ask you, I ask you to speak to every heart, not only to those that are gathered here this morning, but those that are watching the broadcast from home, even those that will watch it later, wherever they're at. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide the hearers into truth. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're we're living in very unique times. And my sense is, if you have hopes that at some point things will return to what we think was normal I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed I I believe that before the church is an open door an incredible opportunity in fact that's when I started this that was the first title for the message an open door but I I felt to change it to your next step I believe that we are are facing unprecedented times. I'm reminded that Jesus himself said that there would come a time when they would hate you. And as a a believer for the longest time, I, I, I didn't understand how it could ever get there. How could they ever get to the place that they would hate Jesus and all he stands for? and those of us that do our best to represent him. In the book of Acts, they're facing a new challenge as well. They're they're learning what it's like to walk out their faith without the physical presence of Jesus right there with them. Jesus had been born, he grew up, and for three and a half years, He had ministered to Israel and alongside of him were some disciples and they they were there when people were healed. They were there when deaf began to hear. They they were there when blinded eyes were opened. They were there when a widow of Nain's son was on his way to the cemetery and Jesus raised him from the dead. They were there when Jesus stood outside of the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. They were there when when he fed thousands with a little boy's lunch. They, They all had that experience, but they had that experience with him physically right there. 
and then he began to share with them in the latter part of his ministry I'm, I'm leaving and the father's going to send you another comforter in fact he literally said it is expedient for you that I go away in the moment you will think this is a downgrade no 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 this is for your good it's expedient for you that I go away He's literally saying, if you, if you will grasp this, it will be better that I'm gone and he's here than for me to be here and him gone. And so they are now trying to walk that out. The teacher is no longer standing there physically. He's gone. And they're having to find out what is it like to walk out what you believe. Everything they knew about the heart of God, God was in the person of Jesus speaking to them physically. How many would be honest admit it? Man, that would make it so much easier, wouldn't it? Years ago, I shared with a, a body we were blessed to be pastoring. I, I saw a painting, and in this painting, there was a man sitting at a desk, and he had turned from his desk, and, and he was facing Jesus, who was sitting in the chair beside him, and, and the man's just pouring his heart out while Jesus listens. And as a young pastor, that, that touched me. I... I'm not one of these guys that can get up on Sunday morning and perform and go on with my life. I get up and I, I see you guys and I look in your eyes on Sunday and you're struggling. I, I, I feel that. My wife and I share that burden. And sometimes problems are just so overwhelming you don't know, you don't know what to do. You just, it's, I'm at a loss. I don't know how... And there, that, that picture touched me because I, I thought, you know, it'd be great if, if I could just, for an hour a week, if he would just walk into my office and sit down and I'd say, hey, and share. What do I do to help them? How, do, how would I fix this? Where do I go now? How am I going to get through? Can anybody relate to that? And, and yet Jesus said, no, 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 it's, that's not good. It's better for you that I leave. So now the, the, the early church is struggling with that. In Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he descends upon them, and each one of them had a flame of fire. He, he was no longer talking to them as a group. He was through the presence of the, and the person of the Holy Spirit, He's talking to them individually. And just like you and I, they struggle because he's no longer on the outside speaking in. He's speaking to us from the inside. And we humans have more than one voice inside of us. We have what we want. We have what we've been taught. We have our own desires. We have our traditions. We have all of these other voices that are competing for our attention. And, and let's be real, sometimes it is hard to navigate that. Turn to the person next to you and say, I know what he's talking about. Your past, your opinion, religion, education, your experience, your desires, your traditions, all have a voice. If you're not careful, the moment you're confronted with a situation, you'll have a knee-jerk reaction. If you're not careful when you're confronted with a situation, you will immediately dip into the reservoir of your education. 
You will dip into the reservoir of your past experiences. You will dip into the reservoir of your pain. And you will make those decisions not by the Holy Spirit's voice, but by the voice of your pain or your experience or your education. And so the early church is struggling with that. They're struggling because now they, they, they fully recognize they have a relationship with a God who speaks to them on the inward and his voice is often hard to distinguish from all the other voices. And yet the disciples remember that he told them, my sheep will know my voice. So they, they can't use the struggle as an excuse. They have to press through that. They have to operate with this understanding that everything we do will be by faith. If you are 100% sure of something, I can tell you absolutely it's not God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. They that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them to diligently seek him. You know what that means? Faith comes down to this. Yeah, I believe there's a God and I kind of think this is his voice telling me to do this. And you have filtered out your education, you have filtered out your experience. You, you speak slowly. You're slow to speak. You understand that as long as you are in this human frame, it will be an effort to distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit. You will have to slow down for a moment and say, what is that voice I'm hearing? I, I, can, I can tell you one of the ways that you can better distinguish his voice is to begin to eliminate the other voices. And you, you, you are confronted with a challenge or an opportunity, you, you, and you hear these voices telling you, you, you begin to f filter them. Well, that's my past talking. Yeah, the moment I, I, they said that, 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 that bothered me. That hurt me. And you want to bite back. How many know what I'm talking about? And, but but that's, not, that's not God because, so that voice, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tune down that radio. Well, I think I ought to do this. I, I, you know, I even, I even got a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson that tells me how to handle this. But then the scripture says, there's a way which seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, goodbye, Ralph. And, and you, is this making sense to anybody? And you get down to that one voice, and, you know, if we were in this room, and I asked an opinion about something, probably each one of you would have a different opinion. But if I only wanted to hear what Gail Beth had to say, I would move closer to Gail Beth so I could drown out all your voices. And when I get close enough, I may still hear the other voices, but I hear her voice clearer. And, and the, the early church is, is wrestling with that because before Acts chapter 2, the dude was right there. What do you think of this? And he would tell them. But now they look to their right and he's not there. And they look to their left and he's not there. They look that way and he's not there. They look that way and he's not there. And they, where do we go? What do we do? Can anybody relate to that struggle? And so well, then when they were finally in all in one mind, in one accord, let's not make that look fancy. Listen, that, that God wasn't waiting for the day of Pentecost to come to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You've got to get that. He was waiting for them to be in one mind and one accord. It happened on the day of Pentecost. 
in one mind and one accord, you know what that, you know what that really comes down to? Oh, I give up. Seriously, I give up. I don't care who's right. I don't care who gets the credit. I, don't, I, I, just, want, I just want his voice. I just want to move forward in him. I don't, I don't care what that looks like. I don't, I don't care if he blesses her more than I get blessed. And I don't care if he, if, if he has a prophecy and I don't get any prophecies. I don't care if God uses Andy to heal somebody and I never get to see anybody healed. I just want God. And, and, and when, when, when they got to that place, he came. The other comforter. And he began to speak to them inwardly. And just like you and I, they have to filter that. And one of the things I like about the book of Acts is it's just so real. They argue. You know, Paul one time looked at John Mark and said, get out of here, you're no good for the ministry. And later he said, hey, um, if you're coming, could you bring John Mark with you? He's valuable. Another place in Scripture... The Bible says that Paul said, and I withstood Peter to the face. As Peter thought, as we see in the story, you've got no business dealing with somebody who's not a Jew. According to Peter, up until this story, if you weren't a Jew, burn, baby, burn. Because it ain't going to happen. God doesn't love you, never did. He likes us Jews. He don't like you people. And the church is learning to understand something that they had witnessed him talking to the individuals who knew the law of God. They knew what the word of God says. They knew what the Old Testament said. They knew about all the rituals, all the laws. They knew all about that. They knew about the word of God, but they didn't know the God of the word. And they're now trying to walk out this new experience, and that is that God is not somebody you learn about. It's somebody you experience. Listen, God has not called anybody in this room to be lawyers. He's called us to be witnesses. A witness doesn't know anything about the law. That's somebody else's job witness doesn't know anything except what I've experienced. And that's, that's all they bring to the table. Just, I, I, I think that we need to understand something, that God is not to be taught. He's to be experienced. I grew up in an era in the church that, told, that taught you that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. That they'll get healed when they get saved. I mean, no, I'm talking about you've been around and you've heard that. They got right with God. Son, I'm not going to heal you, but I'm mad at you right now. That's my God is that. And we lost sight of this reality that if you can explain God, he's not God. You can't teach God. His ways are above your ways. They are past finding out. And so we, we, we Christians sometimes, we, we make the mistake of engaging those people that are outside looking in. And, and we, we sometimes act like they need to be taught about God. But when you, when you go back into Scripture and you, you look into the Gospels, Jesus was always just giving people an experience. Come on. The woman at the well. He looked at her and said, I know what you need. You need a worship experience. He looked at this guy and said, you don't need to be dead anymore. blind guy, you don't need to be blind anymore. The deaf guy, you don't need to be deaf anymore. The demoniac, you don't need to be possessed anymore. 
we, we in the church think we can teach people into experiences. No, no. I'll tell you, the best teacher is an experience. When the, the, when the religious crowd found the man who had been born blind, but now he sees, they ask him, how did he do this? He said, I don't know. I, here's what I can tell you. I was born blind, and now I see. If you want to know how he did this, go find him for yourself. Amen? What a great witness. What about this? What about that? I don't know anything about that. This much I know. I was a mess, and he saved me. I was lost, and he found me. I was undone, and he put me back together. I was unloved, and he loved me. I was in sin, and now I'm free. I was in bondage. I was in darkness. Now I'm in light. Because you see, these experiences not only teach us something, they take us somewhere. And what was our experience is not our experience anymore. Let me explain that. In school, I don't remember what grade it was. First grade, second grade. They taught me addition. One plus one two. I still remember it. I felt empowered. I'm a math genius. And that was my experience. And then a few weeks later, two minus one. Oh, throw me a curveball. Uh-huh. All right. All right. Didn't see that coming, but I got it. Yeah, I'm in second grade. I'm a math god at this point. I can add. I can subtract as long as the numbers are small. I got enough toes and fingers. I can do it all. And then there was higher math. Then there was division and multiplication. And then there was geometry. There was algebra one and algebra two and algebra three, and then there was trigonometry, which all had been very beneficial to my life. I'm still waiting <laughs> at 62 years old to use algebra to help me at some point in time. Seriously, I've got this head of knowledge of algebra. him to understand that he's to be related to and not learn. And as long as you hold on to your last experience with God, you get stuck there. That a real adventure in life starts when you realize your next step could change everything. If you don't stay locked into past experiences, if you don't limit God to what you know, what your tradition is, what your religion teaches, if you confine God only to his word, then there's more. So in Acts 2, they now have this voice inside of them that speaks to them. And in Acts chapter 10, we see the master weaver. We, we, we see a guy that is not a Jew. And he, in fact, he's worse than not a Jew. He's a Roman soldier. He's worse than a Roman soldier. He's a head of a hundred Roman soldiers. And yet, he loves God. And yet, he prays to God. Yet he gives. And so we have this Roman soldier, and remember it was the Romans who facilitated Jesus being crucified on the cross. And 
we have this Roman soldier and he's a head of the Italian regiment. Rome is in Italy. He's the head of the Italian regiment. One day God shows up at his house and says, listen, I got something more for you. And I love that part about God. Can we get back to the place where we just, that we wonder after God? Can I tell you that that when God moves to bring you to something more, he's always big on ideas, but small on details. And you got to be okay with that. He says, go. Okay, hold on a minute. Where? When? How far? With who? What do I do? How am I going to pay for this? Anybody relate? He just stands there grinning and says, just go. Yeah, but I want to know. I want some details first. No, just go. But I want to, I want to, you do know as you stand there, you're disobeying. Just go. Listen, let's get real for a moment when we don't, it's, we're really saying, well, prove to me that I can trust you. Prove to me that you got my back. Prove to me that you'll... Prove to me. And I love this part of God, how he just... Man, he acts like he's in charge. And he can do anything. He does. He acts like that. And all he wants out of you and I is that we just... We not limit him to our experience or our religion or our tradition. We just go. He says, go, we go. And, and, and so, over here in this city, God is speaking to Cornelius, a Roman. And on the other side of the city... <laughs> God is speaking to Peter, a Jew of the Jews, who is so Jewish, he won't relate to you because you're not a Jew. In fact, listen to me, he's one of those people that calls everybody who's not a Jew dogs. Remember the story? This lady came up to Jesus and said, Master, please help my daughter. She is grievously vexed with the devil. The Bible says he answered her not a word. And so she goes to the disciples. She said, can you talk to him for me? My daughter, my girl, my little girl is, is demon-possessed, and I know he can help me. Can you, can, you, can you talk to him on my behalf? And they go to him, and... And they say, hey, listen, she's bothering us. Could you send her away? And she comes and throws herself at his feet. She says, please help me. And he said, it's not right to take bread from the children's table and feed it to the dogs. What is that? vision and he turns to two of the guys who take care of him, who continually wait on him hand and foot. And he brings in one of his soldiers and he says, I need you to take these guys and go to Joppa and 
there's a tanner there by the name of Simon. And living in Simon the tanner's house is a guy by the name of Simon, whose name is Peter. And you know what blesses me about that is God knew where everybody lived. This wasn't even Peter's house. He was visiting. For as long as I live, I'll never forget the time that Gail Beth and I engaged a man by the name of Frank who had no regard for God whatsoever. And we engaged him on several times. We met him at a park and we engaged him several times. And God literally, literally allowed our paths to cross several times. And one night, as I've told you the story before, God, I'm getting ready to go home and God tells me to go to the, the freeway restaurant. And I know I've seen it, but I didn't know where it was at. So I called Gail Beth. I said, have you started dinner? And she said, no. I said, we're going to go out to eat tonight. So we we, we, we got we to hunt around to find out where the freeway restaurant is. I can see the sign, and I know we passed it, but but we, we find it, and we, we go there. And not sure why we're there. And I, I walk in, and the hostess says, you can just seat yourself wherever you want around the room, and there were, I don't think there was maybe one table occupied. We looked around, and we saw a booth over by the windows at the back, and so we walked over and sat down in that booth, and we no more than sat down, and all of a sudden, I now had a little inkling as to why we may be there. And our waitress comes to give us some menus, and I said, listen, do you happen to know an old man by the name of Frank? Literally, as I'm having this conversation with her, I see Gail Beth going like this. She goes, he, he's walking in the door. And the waitress says to us, yeah, he comes in here all the time. I said, you're kidding me. She said, no, in fact, you're sitting in his favorite booth. And, and, and here's what struck me about that. Here's a, God who, here's a guy who literally said he has no regard for God. And yet God knew where the hand, God, man had dinner. hungry. The two servants and the soldier had been sent from Caesarea from Cornelius headed to Joppa. As they're on their way there, in the evening Peter's hungry. The people in the house are getting him something to eat. He lays down for a minute and he has a dream just like everybody who's hungry and goes to sleep has a dream about food. And in this dream it's a big sheet being lowered down from heaven. And in that sheet are animals that are unclean, that a Jew is not allowed to eat. And the sheet is lowered and picked back up three times. And the angel of the Lord says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, relying on his religion and his tradition, said, no, Lord, I have never, ever eaten one of those got to understand about God. You want to know why those animals are unclean? Because he said they were unclean. God did not say they were unclean because they were unclean. They were unclean because God said they were unclean. But now they're clean. Because now God is saying they're clean. Okay? And the animals in the sheet are not animals, they're people. They're everything but a Jew. And God is telling this Jew of the Jews, dude, I'm changing everything. 
Don't ever call anybody that I made common or unclean. Listen, folks. God's going to call you to step in front of somebody. And it more than likely will be the type of person that irritates you. Come on. God is calling for people who don't care. Because nothing and nobody that God has made is common I would that the church would get off its judgmental soapbox and out of its religious tradition and understand this if God has made them and he has from the time he has made them until now nothing in their life has changed the fact that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God because he said I have fearfully and wonderfully made them and you and I need to begin to engage people not on what they look like now or that our religious tradition dictates, but who they are when God made them. Nobody is common or unclean. We in the church have run so many people out because they don't measure up. Listen, I'm not condoning sin. I'm saying love the sin out of them. Let the love of God push the sin out. Amen? And, and, he, and you're going to do that. You'll be challenged to do that with people that there may be part of you is offended by them. They don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They don't walk like you. They don't think like you. They don't eat the same restaurants you eat at. They don't come from the same background you come from. And God is saying to you and I, don't, don't call them common and unclean. <clears throat> Peter didn't even know why he was going there. He just knew that God had changed everything about his life. And as soon as he's done with the vision, there's a knock at the door and there's three guys that says, hey, God is speaking to our master Cornelius. Listen to me, church. I want to I wrap this up. You've got to get this. You've got to get this down in your spirit. When, when Abraham was carrying Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him because that's what God told him to do, while Abraham and Isaac were going up one side of the mountain, there was a ram going up the other side of the mountain. And they arrived at the same place at the same time. And you've got to know this, that God is not only working on you, He's working on the other side of the equation. And while you are walking up that mountain, if you're not careful, you'll be complaining about the mountain and you'll forget about the wonder that's waiting for you when you get to the top of the mountain. And so while Peter is having his vision, God is also speaking to the other side and God is planning a holy collision between two people. And it will oftentimes offend your nature and it will offend your religion and it will offend your tradition. But if you're really going to be used of God, you shove all of that aside because nothing else matters except what does my father tell me to do? And so you go forward. And they may have tattoos all over their body and they, they may have this and they may have that. Their skin color may be different. They may have different orientations than you. And if you can look past that and see the fearfully and wonderfully made, then you can call that out of them. You can speak life into people and you don't have to have specifics. I can, I can tell you God loves you. I can tell you because he said in his word that he has better for you. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Thoughts of a future and hope. I can tell people that. You can begin to plant that into somebody's life. 
and it calls them out because that may be the only thing they're holding on to is hope. You've been there and that's all you had. Listen, God isn't going to give you all the details all the time. I get worried when I know too much about what he's doing. I'm not sure it's, it's God. He doesn't do it like that. I don't remember which of the Indiana Jones movies it was. But there came a time in the movie where they're, 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 they're going after the golden chalice. And they're, they're, they're in this cave and there's this deep valley. And they can't see their way across it. And they don't know how they're going to cross that. And at one point, Indiana Jones takes some sand and he throws it. And when he throws it, the invisible bridge is... And then it's, then it's gone. Can I tell you, it's, it's, it's like that with God. In the moment he speaks to you, the way seems clear. But then when Indiana Jones looks down, he can't see the bridge. He just has to remember it's there. And he has to step out and over the chasm. And when he steps out, then he can see the bridge. You've got you to gotta, you gotta know this. Your next step has been ordered by God. And as you're going up this side of the mountain, there's a wonder coming up the other side of the mountain that could change everything for you and somebody else. You just got to take the next step. I think the reason why the enemy loves to convey fear is because fear is where he lives all the time. How would you like to live every moment of your life knowing that the moment somebody gets saved, the moment they get saved, they are stronger than you. And their next breath could be a praise or a prayer that destroys everything you've been doing. You have been working on this lady for years telling her she's nothing, she's garbage, she's worthless, her life will never count for nothing. And just any old believer can come up to her and say, hey, you know God loves you? I talked to a gentleman just a few short weeks ago. The doctors have told him he's dead. Doctor literally told him, call your wife, have her press your best suit, because you're dead. He once stood in pulpits and preached, and he had lost out with God. Back in bondage. I was honored to be able to share with him. But there was a telltale moment. I said to him, and I just felt inspired of the Holy Spirit to say this. I said, listen, man, your ability to sin is not greater than God's ability to forgive you. If it were, that would make you die. And I went on, he said, hold it, hold it. Because up to that point, he was drowning in pity. And he was fully recognizing the error and, and what a mess he'd made of his life. ability to sin is not greater than God's ability to forgive you. And there was 30 seconds wait on the phone. And he said, could you say that one more time? I said, your ability to sin is not greater than God's ability to forgive you. And it was a but dead in January. It's May. They told him he'd never go home. He's home. I visited him just uh, two weeks ago. I 
talk to him or communicate with him several times a week. Next time I go over, we're going to go outside and have a picnic. It's pretty good for a guy that wasn't really out of the hospital back in January. A word, people. Listen, your next step to change somebody's life. Can you imagine if Peter hadn't gone? Because I want to tell you how God works, and I'm done. God was working on Cornelius, the Roman of Romans. He's also working on Peter, the Jew of the Jews. And if you aren't careful, you'll think that Peter went to Cornelius for Cornelius. But Peter got as much out of that as Cornelius did. Now he understands God loves everybody. And I could see Peter walking away from this experience saying, Now I understand why he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Would you stand your feet this morning, church? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.